Stalemate in Baku. Both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton failed to score, but Sergio Perez claims a breakthrough win in Red Bull overalls. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to Round 6, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. For Heeltread.com, socks inspired by iconic cars. Use the code word STRATEGY for 10% off. Mercedes wanted desperately to put its Monaco woes behind it, but in Azerbaijan, the W12 seemed even more out of sorts, with balancing tyre warm-up over a single lap an apparently intractable problem. After a late Friday night, Lewis Hamilton at least managed to get enough out of the car to be thereabouts with Red Bull Racing, and seemed on track to salvage at least a podium finish. But then Baku struck. A couple of tyre blowouts, including a terminal failure for then-leader Max Verstappen, turned the race on its head. And at the standing restart, Lewis Hamilton made a rare and unusual error that dumped him from the briefest of leads to out of the points. Sergio Perez, on the pace all weekend, secured his first win for Red Bull Racing. Were there any winners in the broader title fight from this nil-all draw? Let's find out with this week's guest, BBC F1 commentator Jack Nichols. Jack, hello, and as is customary in this part of the world, well done to you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, great to, great to be back. And uh, really interesting race in, in Baku, wasn't it? Both sort of strategically and in terms of just pure drama. Mm, in a sense, it means nothing, though. I mean, neither title rival scored. It may as well almost have not have happened. Yeah, it's weird when that happens. And I always find that at the end of a, an end of a season, you'll do 23 races. If we arrive at the last race, wherever that is, let's say Abu Dhabi for argument's sake, and Hamilton and Verstappen both have 248 points. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> They're arriving at the final race of the season with, you know, tied on points. It couldn't be any closer. You're like, why do we bother doing the other 22? <laughs> like, we could have just, like, like it's, it was all meaningless because they're just tied on points like they were at the start of the season. Just do one race and decide the championship. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's always the, the weird part of, uh, of those sorts of things. You're like, well... And 22 races, they got the same amount of points. No point doing it. It'd certainly be more efficient, one race, <laughs> so be easier to manage logistically too. So there might be something in that one. After this race, notwithstanding, okay, no one scored any points and we're essentially where we started at the beginning of the weekend. Is Max Verstappen, does he have reason to think he might be actually the luckiest driver to come out of this weekend, given only technically two races before the finish? This was a bit of a disaster. No. Because I think overall, Mercedes are the ones that got out of this weekend pretty lucky and and pretty, uh, not scot-free, but like the, mm. the, I think the majority of the time, it was Red Bull that were going to have the advantage, right? If you'd have asked me on after free practice three, or definitely Friday, Verstappen was going to win the Grand Prix and Hamilton was going to finish seventh or something, you know, sixth. They were they were absolutely nowhere, managed to find a little bit of pace and suddenly they were up at the front and Hamilton took the lead of the Grand Prix and that was all OK. But I thought when he took when he overtook Leclerc, I thought he was gone. I thought, OK, great. This is going to be boring. <laughs> but he uh, he didn't disappear. And um, then Verstappen got the lead back. So again, it was a Red Bull 1-2 and Verstappen was going to be leading the championship by, would have been, you know, 15 points if he'd have got the fastest lap. So then when he retired, yes, then he was lucky. But I think in the overall context of who was going to score the big points in Baku this weekend, it was always going to be a struggle on that front. So for them, I think overall to come out not losing any ground is, is better. I see obviously what you're saying because... Um, Hamilton was set to go 21 points clear at the top of the championship, but didn't. So it swings and roundabouts both ways. But I think overall, 
it's probably Mercedes that have that have got away with the weekend the most. Well, let's start with them because, as you said, Friday, the first action we saw, it looked absolutely dire for Mercedes. It seemed like, despite Baku being a fairly dramatically different circuit overall compared to Monaco, they were suffering a similar kind of problem, like a hangover from Monaco. It was the same compound of tyres, the softest ones, and they just couldn't get any of them really to work. At one stage, it looked like they might even be lucky to make it to Q3 at all. I mean, Mercedes has always had bogey tracks one way or another over the course of their long run of domination. This hasn't typically been one of them, mind you, but is it just that we're seeing what previously we thought were really small problems absolutely being punished now? Or is this a car that Mercedes is still struggling to understand more so than the previous ones? Well, I think they've definitely lost some some performance with this car. You know, all the figures were there at the start of the season, weren't they? Where everybody else was going one 1.2 seconds slower than last year in Bahrain Mercedes would be going two seconds slower than last year in Bahrain so I think and we know that intentionally or unintentionally I think unintentionally that the 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 rules with the floor and all of that kind of stuff that were brought in this season have adversely affected Mercedes more than more than Red Bull and I think that um you you are right in just the if if they weren't quite on the pace somewhere before but would still win, you didn't really notice. Whereas suddenly here you're in the you're in the midfield pack. It, it's kind of like the the Alban Gasly issue. When when Gasly was driving at Red Bull alongside Verstappen, they didn't have a very quick car. So Gasly would be the normal pace off Verstappen and would be starting eighth on the grid. When Albon got there at the end of the year, the Red Bull, Verstappen, could suddenly put it on pole and suddenly that same gap would only put Albon fourth on the grid and suddenly he looked a bit better than Gasly because, because you know, everything would kind of shift forwards a little bit. And so it's that where Mercedes have shifted backwards. Now, having said that, I would have stuck by that for Monaco because, you know, they were they were off the pace but just behind Ferrari and Red Bull. Whereas here, they were fully bogged down in the midfield and Bottas never never got out of the midfield. So I think that um, it is certainly very specific getting the temperature into those into those front tyres. And I think, of course, last year they would have had uh, the um, the DAS system, which was, you know, specifically focused on curing this exact problem. Getting temperature into the front tyres was literally the, the, the purpose of DAS. So obviously to lose that. And I think Mercedes said on Friday that because they could use the DAS last year, they didn't they haven't had to work on that sort of almost was like a sticking plaster right where they didn't have to figure out those problems exactly because they could just use das so i think it's uh i think it's twofold in that it's a kind of a new problem for them almost and um and the field is much more competitive so any slight off the pace and 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 they're in trouble it took a lot of work on Friday night, Lewis Hamilton was saying, to try and find a workaround for the problems they were experiencing. Uh, in the end, part of the solution that they found was to essentially take downforce off the car, which meant tyre wear was going to be a little bit lower, but faster down the straights, and it sort of enlivened the car a bit. It's a little bit counterintuitive because if the tyres don't work, normally you add more downforce and, and you work it out like that. Certainly, we would say that that logic applied to Valtteri Bottas, as you said, never really moved forward. We've said this before, that this year, considering there are struggles for Mercedes, for Hamilton, Verstappen's challenging, all that kind of stuff, that this could be one of those years where if Hamilton has any doubters left, they're kind of proven wrong because you'll have these opportunities to see that he is making a difference. 
Was this one of those weekends where Hamilton did make a difference with the performance of that car, or is this more of a reflection, unfortunately, we will talk about him a little bit more later on, on Bottas not being able to squeeze anything out of this car? It's a, it's a, I think some of it is Hamilton, because I, we, on, you know, on, on the, um, the BBC F1 coverage, we, you write Hamilton off at your peril, mm. and we didn't write him off on Friday, but there was no way... <laughs> On Friday, you could have backed Hamilton to be at the front. Like, there's just no, there's just no evidence for it. There was, um, I think there was a time where he was, he was, he'd gone three tenths quicker than someone in sector one, uh, whoever was quickest at the time, and he was on a reasonable lap, and then he went straight on at fifteen. But that was just after Norris was about to go a second quicker than anyone and spun at the at sixteen. So Hamilton was on for an okay lap that would have been kind of close to Norris. But that's the only evidence of of the Mercedes pace that we saw on on Friday at all was this kind of half guess of he was almost nearly at the lap that Norris almost did. You know, like it's not particularly empirical. So there was no way you could back them. And but you also just can't you, you can't not back Hamilton because all of a sudden there he is again. You're like, what? Hang on, how's he he's second on the grid? But what? But what how, why is he second on the grid? Like. How have they managed to pull that out? And I think it's, I think it's a combination of of Hamilton and Mercedes being able to find that uh, time. Bottas didn't go with the with the low downforce, so I don't know if if with the low downforce you are because you're taking away grip from the tire, you are you know almost wearing it more. Let's say which is which is kind of you, you're maybe scrubbing it across the ground more, and that's going to give you more tire temperature or tire grip or like conversely to what you would expect i don't know but i think hamilton had a strong weekend apart from obviously the the big mistake at the end but it does it it, i think it does illustrate that when everything's fine and you just have your two cars running one two anyone could win in that car obviously and then george russell gets in and nearly wins in that car obviously that is that is kind of uh evidence of that but with uh, it's weekends like this where you go, oh, yeah, good job from Hamilton, really. Almost begrudgingly, it yeah, sounds. Yeah. I mean, after so many years, I'm sure some would begrudge. But yeah, that's, but it's like, that's yeah, fine. exactly. But yeah, it's like he's just, like he's just so good. <laughs> okay, it's all you can say. That's really yeah. all you can say. That's why he's in the title yeah. fight. That's why we're here. Let's just talk about Bottas quickly uh, once more because there's not much more to say about him after this, really. Uh, you might say he was saved from finishing behind Russell because Russell retired from this race near the end of the Grand Prix. This is a crucial phase for Bottas in his career, I suppose. Obviously, out of contract as he is every single year at Mercedes, but obviously we're in an important point considering the pressure to replace him is building. And also, potentially, I mean, this whole season could be this, but a crucial moment for the championship. He wasn't there to pick up the pieces when Hamilton made that mistake. Can we overstate how costly this race is for Bottas, or is this another thing that the team and him will manage to just move on from as they seem to do? The the thing with Bottas is most of this year he's been okay. He's been the you know you hate to say the wingman because of all the the controversy that that kicked off, but you know he's been the solid number two driver. He took a pole position in what Portimao, and then yeah, slipped back behind Verstappen and Hamilton, and he doesn't have the speed of Verstappen and Hamilton, and that's that's fine because. If everyone was as fast as Verstappen and Hamilton, then you wouldn't have like you wouldn't have the best drivers in the world, you know. And every different people would win different. You know, you want this kind of front runners. Um, but Bottas this year has had some, and a little bit last year actually, 
has had some real anomalies where you go, ah, 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 that doesn't feel like it's possible. And Imola was one of those with, um, and okay, the the tyre warm-up thing was kind of the issue in, in Imola because it was cold and wet and going from, a you know, the wets to slicks was 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 kind of a tire warm up issue, not exactly the same because of the surface and stuff in um, in Monaco and Azerbaijan, but a similar kind of vibe. And it was bad. And the and then the same in Baku was just nowhere all weekend. And for for me, it's the when he slides backwards in a race. Like I find it baffling how that how that even happens. It happened in Imola. Um, sorry, happened in Monza last year. I want to say when when Gasly won, there were, Bottas he got sort of one person took him on a restart, and then four people passed him by the rest of the the time. And then the same happened yesterday. Everyone Norris passed him around the outside. Then I think one of the Ferraris passed him. Must have been Science passed him around the outside, and then someone else passed him around the outside. Raikkonen went up the inside into turn seven, and you're like, how what? There's there's just nothing there. It's absolutely strange. So I think these big bad days are what are um, you know costly basically for for Bottas because if he's just a bit off the pace of Hamilton, that's to be expected. And I think if you put George Russell in the car, I think he'd be closer because I think I rate George Russell, but he wouldn't be beating Hamilton straight away. I don't think. But it's when he it's when you have these big off days and kind of like we said before with the Mercedes performance. In the past, it didn't matter if Bottas was a bit off Hamilton because he'd finish second a long way behind. But now when you're starting to lose points, they're basically almost in the Red Bull position mm-hmm. that we've been talking about for the last four years or uh, three years since Ricardo left. Of They need a second driver if they want to be in the championship fight. Well, Red Bull have extended their lead in the championship today because of their second driver. Let's talk about qualifying the early part of the race. Bottas gets a little bit of partial leave from qualifying, didn't get the slipstream, gave Hamilton the slipstream. That helped Hamilton to second on the grid, which did seem unlikely before that. Leclerc took pole, a uh, very strong pole for Ferrari, but never seemed likely to keep that in the race because the Ferrari just didn't really have that race pace. And that proved the case in the first stint of this race. Before the, fir- before the first stops, it was Hamilton, Verstappen and Perez. Hamilton had a slow first stop, 4.6 seconds. Uh, that allowed Verstappen to cover him pretty easily after that. But I want to talk about Perez here. The second Red Bull driver was very much on the pace this weekend, probably his most complete weekend of the season so far. He'd started six, was in uh, up to third, setting fastest laps at that point. He had a potential to pass Verstappen in the stops, had a slow stop. Obviously, you know, no one's fault there. But how do you think this would have happened, though, had he come out alongside Verstappen? That's really what I, what I want to ask here, because that's not his position in this team at the moment. It's obviously not their fault the, slow, the stop was slow. No one's saying that. But uh, it's, I, I think there's a potential for a lot of intrigue in this race here. Yeah, I, I honestly have no idea what would have happened, because there's part of me that thinks that Perez is just... That he that he that he gets it, you know. He's he's fairly old now. I mean, he's not old, obviously, but you know. But but he's you know an eyes open kind of guy. Is he? Does he think he's moving to Red Bull and has a chance to win the championship? I don't know. I honestly don't know. And obviously, he'll say he does and all of that. But maybe he just gets it, and he he knew if he ever came out in front of us. And at this early stage in the season, with if Hamilton was third or something then maybe the Red Bulls don't swap it at this at this point if if Verstappen's still going to extend his advantage over Hamilton then I think they 
I would say they don't swap it. I think I I don't think that 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 Red Bull would would do that. You know, Schumacher Barrichello 2002, Hamilton Bottas in Sochi in 20 Libertin, uh, whatever <laughs> year it was. Um, I don't think they're doing that in round six of the of the season when Perez is going to take his first win for Red Bull. I don't think. I th- I think that if Perez had the the sort of potential to win and Verstappen was still ahead of Hamilton and, and Verstappen is already in the lead of the championship, I think they're letting that one go. But but Red Bull is obviously Verstappen's team and I'm sure that like Helmut Marko would have wanted them to swap positions, but it's whether that would have come down to sort of your Horners and your Wheatleys and whether they would have agreed to it. So I, I'm, I'm fairly... I think if Perez comes out ahead of Verstappen... I mean, firstly, maybe Verstappen can overtake him. I don't know, but... I think I think they're still letting Perez win the Grand Prix. I think at this point in the season, I think much any much later than this, and they're not. If Perez had already had a win or something, then maybe. But I think it was, you know, big for Perez to get the win yesterday. Absolutely, and I think it's interesting. You know, the tie strategy was sort of line ball here because the softs, no one was sure exactly when they'd all start expiring, and quite different results for different cars, but. Another lap out there, another fastest lap, and it almost would have been a done deal pending that pit stop, of course. So pitting him at just the right time, and and that's the way it worked out. He finished second, or rather he slotted into second ahead of Lewis Hamilton, the slow stop for him costing him that. And that seemed like where that race was just going to go, wasn't it? It was going to be Verstappen, Perez, and Hamilton, no one able to make too much of an oppression on each other. But then, of course, we get to sort of the middle of the race with Lance Stroll, the tyre situation... Uh, it's. I mean, there was a lot of reaction after this, wasn't there? That we saw another Pirelli tire failure, seemingly at random, no evidence of of why this was uh, the case. We saw then, obviously, the same on Max Verstappen's car, catastrophically in his case, for the in the sense of that being the race leader. You know, teams and drivers sound a little bit skeptical afterwards, didn't they? Verstappen, in particular, sounded skeptical that a Pirelli investigation into Pirelli's tires would find anything other than Pirelli was all good. It's a bit of an invidious position for them, isn't it? I mean, Pirelli has a kind of rough position in Formula 1. What's your take on how this is going to, I suppose, filter out over the next couple of weeks? People seem very ready to beat up on Pirelli, don't they? I think it'll get forgotten by the time we're in poor Ricard. There'll be a few whispers about it, a few, you know, chats about it, and some people will say some things, but I don't think much will change, really. And I think, because you can't, you know, if Pirelli say it was damaged to the tyre... And I think I think there's been some sort of evidence of the cut that was on Hamilton's tire. Um, then what can you do? Like what what? And it's the the strange thing. The, the, so the curious part is that it was both rear left tires on both uh, Stroll and Verstappen. And so that's weird. But that brings with it the weirdness because that's almost the least used tire around Baku. It's the it's the right rear that that wears predominantly when you're coming out of all these 90 degree left-hand corners because it's an anti-clockwise circuit one of six on the calendar and it's your front right that takes the sort of biggest beating in terms of uh, in terms of speed so you you know it could be and we we've seen it was it was it silverstone where it was curbs were were blamed and to me if you are you know if a lot if most of the corners are left-handers and you're sort of bouncing over the the curbs with your left rear is that where cuts are going to come from look I, I don't know but I guess my point is it was strange that they were both rear left failures because that creates a level of coincidence if one have had a rear left failure and the other had a front right failure no one would have really said anything I don't think 
But it also, the fact that it was rear left, not rear right, does also give Pirelli a bit of, you know, um, excuse or reasoning or whatever. So nothing will happen after this because Pirelli will say they were cuts. Everyone will be like, well, or some will be, we don't believe you, but what can we do? And everyone will carry on. It's a real storm in a teacup kind of thing that we all, that we always get when the Pirelli tyres fail. Everyone goes, oh, the tyres fail. Oh, well. And, and it's the same when Pirelli make these kind of, I'm not really a fan of the Pirelli tyres and what they do and how they behave. I never really have been. Um, and you'll get races where everyone goes, oh, this is rubbish. Pirelli tyres are rubbish. You can't, you know, the reason that you can't follow in F1 is obviously dirty air, but also related to the tyres and you can't push on the tyres for too long. And that's why when Verstappen in Bahrain at the start of the year, when Verstappen had his one shot, really, of overtaking Hamilton, because after that, his tyres were gone. I find that a bit boring, to be honest. And people say that and then everyone forgets again. So everyone will just forget again, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then when there's a tyre failure, when there's a tyre failure at the end of this year or Silverstone, everyone will go, oh, Remember Baku? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there was Baku. There was Susan last year. This has happened before. Oh, yeah. And then everyone will forget again. Maybe I'm being cynical. Yeah, well, no, you know, and there was, I was only reminded today, there wasn't it in Imola at the end of last year, there was one. I forgot about it. Yeah, probably. Cause, See, yeah. it seems like maybe you did as well. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> fine. That's okay. It's the way it is. Look, we'll get back to the effects of the Stroll safety car a little bit later on when we talk about Fernando Alonso. But let's jump to the end of the race. Of course, the restart, Lewis Hamilton's restart. It was great for about five seconds, I think. And then after that, it was awful. Uh, it's, I mean, there are two different aspects to look at this. One is that this is just a super weird error for Hamilton to make. It, it, he tripped a switch on his steering wheel that, I mean, I can't even think of the last time something like this has happened. He just did it in the process of upshifting gears. It wasn't even as if he was doing it when he was preparing for the start. That's sort of one side of it. Is it too simple, though, to say on the other side that, I mean, he was racing against Sergio Perez. They were battling for the lead. They were about side by side at the time. That Perez's pressure forced Hamilton in an error. Is that too simple to say? Flicking. So we were actually having this conversation uh, yesterday with um, Jolian Palmer, uh, who is my co-commentator on BBC F1. And look, Palmer... He's made most of the mistakes out there, you know, like he's, 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 I don't need to list them, but you know, like if there's a mistake to have been made, maybe he's made it at some point during his career. And he said he has never accidentally knocked a switch. He said he turned his car off once at, in uh, GP2, at the hairpin in Monaco, he was coming around and you have to take your hands off the wheel and sort of wrestle it round and he knocked the, the, um, the the power button, I guess, or I, I don't know if it was power or neutral, or but he kind of switched it off, and there you go. So he said he did that once, but in F one, never. And um, it, it, you do see it happen where people knock switches and stuff. It happens in Formula E, honestly, a, a bit again because you're on a street circuit and you're kind of wrestling with the wheel. You can you can knock a setting or whatever. Um, and I think it, uh, it, yeah, it's it's really unusual, and it's. It's difficult to say that accidentally knocking a switch is a driving error. And yeah, okay, he was racing with Perez, but it's the start of a race, you know, effectively. Mm. You know, it's a grid start. You're going to be racing with someone wherever you are. And because we saw his brakes really smoking on the on the grid, because basically the switch, essentially, it seems like the switch turns off the rear brakes. And so when you're on the way to the grid, you, you turn off the, the rear brakes 
And so you've, you're only using the front brakes. So all of the energy in kind of slowing the car and stopping the car is going through the front brakes. And that heats up the front brakes and heats up the front tires. And Hamilton had obviously been doing that because it was all steaming off. And then he'd said he turned it off and the team confirmed he turned it off. Or rather, turned the switch off, which meant he turned the rear brakes back on. And then, yeah, in that tiny run, he's knocked it again and turned the rear brakes off. Now, imagine if he'd been starting seventh on the grid and he gets to turn one and he's turned the rear brakes off. Like, you're having like a Grosjean Spa shunt there. Like, that would be mad. But got away with it because it was just him that went straight on. But it's... uh, I find it tough to call... It was Hamilton's error, obviously, mm. but it feels really tough to call knock, accidentally knocking a switch like a driving error. Mm. So I think it's I think it's I think it's too simplistic. So, oh, he was battling with Perez, so he knocked it because everyone's battling with everyone. Every lap of a Grand Prix, well, not every lap of a Grand Prix, some of them are horrible, but like a, you know, a lot of times in a Grand Prix, you're battling with someone and you don't and you don't knock a switch. I mean, Hamilton, think of the amount of times he's gone wheel to wheel with people and not turned his brakes off you know so it's, a, so it's like a, it's a really it's a really actually quite strange scenario that that's even a thing that that you could accidentally knock so um yeah very very strange and really costly it, ultimately really costly error from hamilton even though it's a really weird error and not actually a driving error it's really i mean just putting the question when was the last time you accidentally switched off your brakes is an incredible proposition in formula one but I guess yeah, I've that's... never seen. I've never seen. I've never seen it happen. Like no. I, I, I can't. I, and I think I'm just trying to think of any time anyone accidentally knocked a switch in F1, and I just can't. I mean, I mean, obviously, maybe it happens in practice all the time, and they pr- accidentally hit the wrong engine mode, and you never know about it. But yeah, accidentally knocking your brakes off is um, not a good one. No, and to think that it's happened, you know, of all the races he's ever done, now. It's not as if he's yeah. a rookie or something like that. He knows where the switches are. It just seems extri- super random. So, yeah. I mean, I look forward to finding out whatever, however that happened. Maybe someone can make a 3D model or something and help explain it a little bit better. Yeah. Perez won this race, obviously, after that. he I want to say he had a pretty easy cruise, but apparently his car was leaking hydraulic fluid. He almost didn't make it to the finish, parked immediately after taking the checkered flag. So it was a very Baku kind of finish, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, but good on him, of course, winning his first Red Bull racing race. Let's talk about Sebastian Vettel, though, here in second. Uh, he ran a slightly different strategy, ran long on new soft tyres after qualifying 11th. He was upset to qualify 11th because of Daniel Ricciardo's red flag stoppage in Q2, but he made the most of it, absolutely. And then, you know, that accounted for half of it. He was leading the race at one point before he stopped and then only dropped a couple of places. But most of his positions were subsequently made up by just really good, nice overtakes it's almost like motor racing really but it was very old Vettel in that sense wasn't it you know he made the most of a strategy he had of the ties and all that kind of stuff something I feel like we haven't really seen from him for years now is this Sebastian back as back as I think he'll ever be like it was absolutely fantastic uh the way he performed yesterday in the in the race and he was so it was quite interesting because he was so gutted not to make it through to Q3 because the red flag came out and he really thought he had the pace to get into Q3. And at the time, I thought, oh, well, that's okay because um, he can start 11th, not on the softs because everyone's, oh, we hate the softs, we hate the softs. And then when, you know, five minutes before the race starts or whatever, the, the tyre selections come up, you know, well, Vettel's starting on the softs. Why? What? Everyone says they hate the softs. Why is he starting on the softs? And then he just ran the softs. He just kept pounding round. And the 
the strategy was really, really interesting in terms of the the you know Mercedes went early. They tried to protect the undercut by pitting early on the softs, and it just didn't work. The you stayed out longer, you got more track position. It, it worked with a couple of drivers on the grid, including predominantly Vettel, but also the two Red Bulls. And it's kind of what happened in. Monaco as well. Mercedes went early. They were the first to blink and um, they didn't gain any progress. They lost out to, well, they stayed behind Gasly and lost out to Sebastian Vettel, who stayed out longer and and extended his stint and overcut them. Uh, now, I'll give, because um, Charles Leclerc was the first to, to pit, wasn't he, for Ferrari? And again, he got overcut. Now, Ferrari were really struggling with their uh, with their rear tires and graining and stuff, so maybe I'll I'll let them off because maybe they couldn't have gone any longer. But like Hamilton's pace was was fine at the time, so it was just a really sort of defensive move almost from from Mercedes that that cost them two positions. Okay, let's say well, and we say that he lost out to Perez because of that two seconds waiting for Gasly to come through the pits. But as we were saying, Perez if he hadn't lost time, would have come out with Verstappen. So actually, they, they lost both the places in the pits. So it's almost like the the reverse of... In, in Spain, Red Bull couldn't have done anything to stop Mercedes winning that one. Like, Hamilton was going to overtake him on track, or they would do him with strategy. Like, it was just that Mercedes had the quicker car. Like, it was fine. And I don't know whether it's the same here, that Red Bull just had the quicker car. So if Mercedes had stayed out longer... Red Bull would have undercut them or if they'd come in earlier or maybe there was maybe it was a no-win scenario for them but it was just strange that on a sort of track with where Mercedes was suffering with the same issues where the sort of track surface and the tires are all the same that exactly the same almost race panned out where Mercedes went early and it didn't work and Vettel stayed out longer and gained a load of places like I don't know for me it's really curious that that it's such a mirror where everyone did the same thing expecting a different result well Aston Martin obviously expected the same result but (laughs) yeah um and Vettel made a great restart as well didn't he when he got up Mm. past Charles Leclerc and uh yeah made some good passes and 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 it was really really nice to see Vettel coming back because we've given him enough stick on the BBC over the last few years with all the mistakes and the spins and then and then the the pace deficit to Leclerc last year was really painful to watch because I think everybody he's he's, he might be the most universally liked driver in Formula One I would say Sebastian Vettel because obviously some people like Hamilton some people don't like Hamilton some people like uh, Verstappen some people don't like Verstappen but Vettel he's just great isn't he and so it was really sad to see him not being a good racing driver and then last two races super super duper and hopefully it'll continue because i think like you say he's popular and also it's just good to see that team being like competitive i mean the more competitive teams we have the better really yeah not too much to say about pierre gasly because he was thereabouts the whole weekend really and just drove a well clean race and was rewarded for it with a podium so that's terrific for him but i do want to talk about alonso before we wrap this up because he spent most of the race, I would never have thought we'd be talking about him for most of the race, outside the points, uh, because Alpine just isn't really on it at the moment, not on it with this track anyway. But he was one of the few drivers to stop during that safety car for Lance Stroll's crash. And he stopped despite the fact that by the time the pit lane opened, you know, he was losing heaps of positions. He dropped to 14th as a result of that, although he was already out of the points. But it did mean that his restart was great, it wasn't only the tyres he also just had a great restart but it was a contributing factor and then also really well judged like Vettel did the the red 
flag restart. Is this, I mean, this is kind of a sign, I guess, that Alonso's still got that racecraft, right? Like, he's he's back on it. There's a card disparity there. Maybe, a, I mean, fitness is probably exaggerating here, but just being still slightly out of practice in Formula 1, perhaps. But I thought it was interesting that he was one of the few drivers to actually take a risk behind the safety car. There are only a couple of others that weren't Haas, only a couple of other teams who could have scored points out of it. It's weird because Baku's still kind of new. You know, it does have these wacky races. You're surprised that so many drivers at this race did essentially the same thing. No one really tried anything different. And kind of like you say, after Monaco, you'd think someone would have would have gone a different way. Yeah, I think the 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 biggest issue with um with the with the Stroll safety car was where Stroll mm-hmm. crashed because they they closed the pit lane. And if you don't pit, uh, you know before you've caught the safety car then if you pit once you've caught the safety car so after the 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 pit lane opened you know what five laps later or something you you, you're guaranteed to go to the back so whereas if you were the red bulls if if the red bulls hadn't have pitted behind the safety car if the pit lane was open then hamilton definitely would have and and possibly won the grand prix but because you couldn't pit without losing track position you needed to have no track position in order to pit. And that's what Alonso was, was able to do. If you're outside of the points, pit anyway. I think I think if you were being really racy, you would have pitted Bottas. Because what was he, ninth, I think, when, uh, when the safety car mm-hmm. came out? Something like that. And, okay, great, you're getting two points. But if you pit, put on a fresh set of softs, you should be able to get past whoever, whoever you're racing with in ninth place, to be honest with you. But are you, if it's... Bottas on a high downforce setting, then I think that's the thing is that realistically, probably not. If that's Hamilton with his low downforce and for whatever reason he's ended up in ninth, you pit him like like in Imola and and he's got and he had quite a long period of time in Imola to, to make his way through the field, didn't he? In the second half of the race and got back up to second. So I think that's the, that's the if the stroll crash had happened anywhere else, I think we would have seen a lot more tire gambles. But kind of like I was alluding to, everybody just decided they needed to get off the softs as soon as possible, so everybody did that as early as possible, and then you were, and then you're, then then you're, then you're locked in for the rest of the race. What we don't know is whether anyone was planning a two-stop strategy and going back onto the softs at the at the end, like if if had the stroll safety car not happened, but. It didn't look like anyone was uh, particularly going that way. Jack, before I let you go, of course, this episode of the Strategy Report is powered by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. And you can go to heeltread.com for a 10% discount using the code word STRATEGY. But for you, for appearing on the show, you get a pair for free. You just have to tell me what you've chosen and why. This was actually a really difficult one um, because there's a lot of cool ones on there. I thought about going for the Tyrrell and then there was the cool Ferrari ones from the 70s. I really like the the BAR where one is one and the other is the other the 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 zip livery one that was really cool but I don't know I think most people would just then think I was wearing odd socks and I, that's not really a conversation I have I wear odd socks too often anyway and that really wasn't a conversation I wanted to had so I had no choice really but the FW16 uh socks not necessarily for the FW16 but mainly for the FW18 which is obviously the same kind of Rothmans livery uh, because that was the year I first started watching Formula One in 1996 and watching Damon Hill and stuff. And then the first Grand Prix I went to was 1997 uh, when I was seven. And Jacques Villeneuve won that race again in the similar livery. So 
There you go. That's the reason. <laughs> Good choice. And don't forget, if you want another pair, 10% off using the code word strategy at heeltread.com. You can get yourself uh, any number of socks inspired by iconic cars. That was the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, as it happened. An interesting race, even if in the sense of the title fight, everything is as it was before we arrived. It was a pleasure to talk about it with you, Jack. So well done, Baku. <laughs> and Jack, well done to you. <laughs> You're welcome. Great to be here. You could almost argue the Azerbaijan Grand Prix may as well not have happened in the context of the main title fight, but it will be fascinating to see what kind of effect this bump in confidence will have on Sergio Perez and his form for the rest of the year, and what that means for his support for Verstappen's title push. Thanks very much to Jack Nichols from the BBC for joining me. The Strategy Report is supported by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. Go to heeltread.com and use the code word STRATEGY for a 10% discount. Make sure you never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google, Apple, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato and I'll be back next week to preview the French Grand Prix.